Yeah. Good morning. <laughs> Good to see you this morning. Glad that you are here. If you're a guest of ours, we are especially honored to have you with us this morning. You know, it has been a, a wonderful, difficult week here at Bay Area. Um, difficult because this past week we said goodbye temporarily uh, to two family members. Beginning of the week, we had a service for David Bombersbach. And then yesterday, we had a, a service uh, remembering and honoring uh, Paul Price. And in both of those services, I was reminded in kind of different ways what a blessing it is to be a child of God. And that's what we are. And so for the families, you know, we're certainly keeping you in our prayers, but uh, one day uh, we'll meet again. Heard about a, a couple who'd been married for 50 years, and on their golden anniversary, they were talking to some people, and someone asked them, What's the secret of, you know, this long, happy marriage? And the husband said, Well, I try never to be too selfish. In fact, I try to remember there's no I in marriage. The wife said, As for my part, I never correct his spelling. And we're wrapping up this series, Doing Life Together today, and we're actually wrapping it up with a lesson I probably should have started this series with, and that's this idea of self-control. You know, as we think about doing life together, we've got to realize and understand we are going to need large doses of self-control. It's kind of a funny thing to talk about. It's funny to talk about because it's easy to talk about, it's easy to intellectually kind of have these conversations about self-control, but I think we would probably all agree that when it comes right down to it, self-control is something that just about everybody struggles with on some level. If you know your Bible really well, and a lot of you do, you will have recognized Galatians 5, verse 22, that Bert read this morning where Paul lists those, what he calls, fruits of the Spirit. If you're in faith lane, you can name the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because you learned the song. And personally, I think there's a reason why Paul begins that list with love and ends it with self-control. I think there's a reason for that. I think there's a reason all those other things are bookend between love and self-control. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. There's a reason that love begins the list and self-control ends the list because all of those other attributes are going to involve both love and self-control. As an anchor text this morning, I want to go way back to the Old Testament towards the beginning of the Old Testament, and take a look at the life of someone who didn't exhibit very much self-control. I think there's some lessons that maybe we can learn from the story of Cain. Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Cain and his brother Abel, both sons of Adam and Eve, bring a sacrifice to the Lord. 
God is pleased with Abel's sacrifice. God is not pleased with Cain's sacrifice. And I'm not exactly sure why that is. I'm not exactly sure why God wasn't pleased with Cain's sacrifice. Maybe, maybe he'd asked for a blood sacrifice. And maybe he had asked for the first fruits. Scripture's a little unclear on that, although in the context, it does seem very clear that Cain should have been and probably was aware that the offer that he was bringing to God was substandard, was inferior in some way. But Cain realizes that God's not pleased with him, and Cain gets angry. He gets angry at God. He gets angry with his brother. Here's the first strategy, the first helpful hint when thinking about self-control, and that is pay attention to your spiritual life. Be alert to the things that are going on around your life on a spiritual level. Be alert to where you might be just drifting a little bit from where God has called you to be. No, very seldom do we say, oh, I forget about God, I'm going off on my own way. No, we don't do that. But sometimes we start to drift a little bit. And sometimes in really some small, subtle ways, we can get distracted from where God is calling us to be and how He's calling us to live. Because the reality is all of us struggle with something. We're all struggling with something. I mean, what I'm struggling with might not be what you're struggling with, but we all have struggles. You might be here for the first or second time kind of checking us out, thinking, well, this, these people seem to have it all together. You know, keep coming. <laughs> You'll get to know us. I say, well, the preacher, he looks pretty good. He must have it all figured out. You just don't know me well enough. Trust me, I struggle. We all struggle. That's kind of why we're here, right? Because we need Jesus. And we know that paying attention to our spiritual life matters. The Apostle Peter has a warning that, that would have really been helpful for Cain to have heard. First Peter chapter 5, he writes, Be self-controlled. Be alert. Pay attention. Be self-controlled. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, whenever you talk to someone who has a struggle with an addiction, whether it's drugs or alcohol or pornography, or, or someone who's in debt because of gambling, someone who's on the verge of losing their marriage because of unfaithfulness, when you have a conversation with that person, almost always, somewhere in the conversation, they say, how did I get here? I can't believe that I ended up here. I just never saw this coming. It started off so small. And it started off so innocently. No, I just didn't think it was that big of a deal. But I started to drift. I thought I had it under control. I thought I could handle it. I couldn't handle it. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I don't know if you watch TV like I watch TV. Probably most men do. I watch TV with this in my hand. Not literally this, but with the remote. And it bothers me to watch commercials. So I do this at every commercial. It bothers my wife when I do this during every commercial. But I scroll through channels and I'll stop and she drive, you know, drives Martha crazy. We have no idea what's going on here. 
You know, go back to the, what we were watching. But have you ever seen that that show, uh, uh, that channel on television? I don't even know what channel it is, but it's always showing things like vacations that have gone tragic, or destroyed in seconds, caught on camera. Have you seen that channel? It's like nothing but clips of things going horribly wrong. You know, just things blowing up or something happening. You know, everybody's got a phone and a, a video now, so you see all these clips. Well, there's one show on there that's called When Animals Attack. Ever see that? Yeah. And there's always clips of like a family at a petting zoo where, you know, you expect an animal to be tame and the, the animal kind of goes, you know, rogue and, you know, goes on a rampage or some rancher out in his field and a bull turns on him or somebody's dog, you know, turns on him. I was watching it not too long ago. Just stumbled on it, you know, for about, I watched it about 45 seconds at a time. Uh, stumbled on it, and it showed a family from Florida, of course, South Florida, and they were having a uh, barbecue in their backyard. Someone was filming, you know, just this barbecue, a bunch of family members, some extended family members. They were in the backyard, the family and the family pet by the name of Brutus, who was a lion, a full-grown lion. And they're watching, this, you know, you're filming this, and everybody's kind of happy, and all of a sudden, Brutus attacks Uncle Bob. And this lion is just sort of mauls this poor man. And afterwards, the family members are interviewed, and they all say the same thing. We don't know how that happened. We've raised him since he was a cub. He's always been so gentle. We can't believe that that actually happened. What happened? Can I tell you what happened? <laughs> yeah. Brutus was being a lion, right? That's kind of what lions do for a living. Lions attack. And they attack with evil intent. They attack to devour. Peter's saying, that's Satan. He attacks with evil intent. And we know that, but instead of running from that danger, instead of protecting ourselves from that danger, how often do we invite them into our backyard barbecue? We've raised them as a cub. He's never hurt us before. How could this have happened? Listen, you can invite them into your home. And you can, you can raise them as a cub. You can delude yourself into thinking that, that lions don't eventually act like lions act. But lions attack with evil intent. Satan attacks with evil intent. Well, he's never hurt me before. I can handle him. You can't handle him. Be alert. Pay attention. Look for the signs. Pay attention to what you're saying. Pay attention to what you're doing. Pay attention to what you're thinking. Listen to some practical advice from the book of James. James chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. He doesn't use the word there, but James is talking about self-control. He says, when you are getting ready to respond, when you're getting ready to say something, slow down, 
Pump the brakes a little bit. Think before you say something. Think before you act. Think before you respond. Be slow to speak, slow to anger. Pay attention to what you're about to do. Paul says in Ephesians 4.26, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Paul says you're going to get angry. People get angry. But pay attention not to sin in your anger. And then he advises, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Which, by the way, is great advice. It's great advice for married couples. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Work it out. Resolve the conflict. Early on in our marriage, Martha and I committed to, we're not going to go to bed angry at each other. We're not going to go to sleep angry at each other. And for the most part, we've been able to, to keep that commitment. There was a three-week time where we didn't even sleep not long ago. but uh... Now, it's hard, right? Come on, it's hard. Sometimes we go to bed angry at each other because we're not exhibiting self-control. Here's a second encouragement for growing in self-control. And I almost hesitate to put this up because it seems so obvious, but that is, be obedient to God. And I know that sounds so oversimplified, but it's so right on. We've got to just be obedient. It doesn't always seem to come back to obedience to God. Just be obedient. You know, a lot of people think, I can't handle self-control. The reason I struggle with it is because I'm just not trying hard enough. Well, the reason self-control is in that list in Galatians 5.22 of fruits of the Spirit is because we can't perfect it on our own. We can't just try hard enough to get it right. We need God. We need the Holy Spirit working through us. Go back to the story of Cain, back to uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what's right, if you obey, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what's right, if you don't obey, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. God tells Cain, you're angry, you're downcast. It's not because of what I've done. It's because of what you've done. If you would just obey me, you'll be accepted. Go back to James. James chapter 1, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Obey the Word. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, it's a process, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, he'll be blessed in what he does. James says if you're just listening to the Word, if all you're doing is hearing it and you're not doing it, you're fooling yourself. But if you're obedient... James promised you'll be blessed. Solomon's going to paint a picture of a person without self-control in Proverbs 25. 
Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Obey God's warning so it doesn't come to that. And again, we use the term self-control and it's a little bit misleading because it sounds like something I've got to do by myself. But I can't master it without God. I can't master it without the Holy Spirit uh, working in me and, and through me. I looked up that phrase, self-control, in a Bible dictionary, and here's how it was described. Purity. Integrity. Someone capable of not giving in to human desires. Now, the challenge for us is to be a people of morals and principles. Years ago, while she was still alive, Ann Landers, in, in one of her advice columns, received this letter. It said, Dear Ann, I have a problem. I am happily married to a wonderful wife. We have two beautiful children, but I've also been seeing another woman for the past six months. My problem is that I love them both. What should I do? Signed, confused. P.S. Please don't give me any of that morality stuff. Here was a response. I thought it was pretty good. Dear confused, the only difference between humans in the animal kingdom is that morality stuff. I suggest you consult your local veterinarian. <laughs> you know, what she was saying is, when you throw out self-control, if you throw out morality, if you're not concerned with living a life in boundaries, if, uh, if you're just forgetting about self-control, your life at one point is going to crash and burn. I mean, there's nothing but heartache waiting for you there. If you're more concerned about your immediate happiness than you are about your eternal holiness, you got a problem, and it's going to catch up with you. God told Cain, Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. You must master it. That's Genesis 4.7. James 4.7 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Both of those 4.7s, Genesis and James, they're both talking about paying attention to what's going on around you. They're talking about obedience. They're talking about self-control. And then one last strategy as we think about self-control and that is, we've got to consider the consequences. You know, Cain ignored the warnings. Cain, in his selfishness, he, he never considered the consequences. And of course, we know what happened. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. Cain's lack of self-control led to deception. He deceived his brother. Let's go out to the field. I don't think Abel would have gone out to the field with him had he known Cain's intentions. You know, as we lose self-control, we start deceiving people. We start to hide things. We delete the history on our internet searches. We hide the pills. We put the money in a separate account. We open up a new email account that our spouse doesn't know about. We hope nobody finds out. Cain's hidden anger is unleashed and, and he kills his brother Abel. In the second half of, of verse 8. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. He kills his brother and then he has the nerve to discount the relationship. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. 
Am I my brother's keeper? One of the most quoted verses in Scripture. People that don't know the Bible know, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer to Cain and the answer to us is, absolutely, yes. We are absolutely our brother's keepers. That's what this whole series has been about. If we love each other, if we care about each other, then yes, you are my keeper. And I am your keeper. Yeah, we've got to be wrapped up in each other's lives. We have to care about each other. And of course, here comes the consequences to Cain's actions. Back to Genesis 4, verse 10. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. Again, Cain never thought about the consequences. Never thought about what it would cost him to to give up his self-control. But we need to ask ourselves that question. Where is this going to lead? If I don't get off this path, if I don't pay attention to what's going on, fast forward a couple months or a couple years, what's my life going to look like? What's my family going to look like? What's my future going to look like if I don't get a handle on how I'm treating other people, how I'm treating God's Word? Where's it going to lead? Let me close by reminding you of the the greatest example of self-control in Scripture, and that's Jesus. I've referenced a couple times today already Galatians 5.22, those fruits of the Spirit. Those, those attributes, those defined Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's not just what Jesus did, that's who He was. And when Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, I mentioned last week, He, he, he answered each temptation with Scripture, but He answered each temptation with tremendous self-control. When he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane right before the cross, it's a prayer of submission and it's a prayer of self-control. He stands before Pilate. Pilate has him taken away and beaten. He's, He's spit upon. He's humiliated. His friends have deserted him. His people have turned their backs on him. Standing in front of Pilate with his blood dripping down with thorn of crowns on his head. And Pilate says this in John 19, Do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. You would have no power over me if not given to you from above. Translation, you're not in control. I'm in control. Translation, you're not taking my life. I am laying my life down. Translation, I am exhibiting tremendous self-control right now. Jesus was aware of what was going on. He was completely obedient to the Father. And He understood the consequences. He understood the consequences of His actions. And He went to the cross. 
Now, someone once said that sin is when man puts himself in the place of God. Salvation is when God put himself in the place of man. When God sent Jesus to die on the cross. We need self-control in our lives. As we think about doing life together, we need self-control in our lives. More self-control than we can muster on our own, by the way. We need to be prayerful about that. So, pay attention to what's going on around you in your spiritual life. Those little, small, seemingly small, subtle things. Pay attention to where you might be just drifting from God's will. Recommit to being in the Word and obedient to the Word. Understanding what God's calling us to do and who God's calling us to be and then saying, God, help me be that. Help me do that. Consider the consequences. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. This idea of doing life together. We're doing life together with Jesus. Our response to His message and His example and His sacrifice. Jesus left heaven, came to earth, lived here as a man, sinless, perfect. They still crucified Him on a cross. And yes, we still crucified Him on a cross because it was also our sin that put Him there. And He died. And He was put in a tomb. And three days later, God raised Him back to life. And He sits at the right hand of God. But one day He's coming back. One day He's coming back not to live on this earth again, but to take us home to live with Him in heaven. That's the Gospel. That's the good news of Jesus. That's the message that we need to be sharing. That's the story we need to be telling. How that message and that truth and reality changed my story. Listen, if you don't belong to Jesus, I urge you to think about the truth and about the reality of the Gospel. We would love to talk to you about all those things, about forgiveness and redemption and repentance and baptism and all those things that God has called us to be and do because of the fact that He loves us so much and the relationship that He desires with us. Or maybe today you just need the prayers of people who love you. Uh, We're in this room together too. As a church family, if we can help you in any way, anything that you would like to have us pray about, anything you want to bring to the church family's attention, there will be some people here at the front of the auditorium, and you can meet us and talk to us there. Let's stand and sing.